good morning again. So, Mother's Day. You know, a day when we, we celebrate moms and moms, I want to let you know this morning, I don't want to make your life more difficult because in today's society, being a mom, actually being a parent is tough. So moms, I know the struggle you go through. I know the struggles my mom went through with me. So, you know, be, being the only boy in the family, my sisters would call me Kenny do no wrong, you know, because in mom's eyes, I did no wrong. But man, the things that my mom had to put up with because of me. So moms, I put it out there for you. I, I know the struggle you have. And, and in today's world, it's so much harder. It's so much harder than when we were growing up. And, and even today, your kids may feel like they're being dragged into church. You know, I don't know why I got to go, because I'm going to get up. You know, more of a struggle on Sunday morning than there is to get them to go to school where they should be happier to come to church than to be happier than going to school, but it's kind of the opposite way around. So parenting nowadays is hard. And, and although this is Mother's Day, I want to let you know this message, message isn't just for mothers. See, this message is for all of us, because I think God's got something to say to everybody, not only in this room, but to church online today, to that to help us understand what he wants us to do. And, and on Mother's Day, you know, we look back and, and you think about through life itself, most of the times it's a mom or a grandmother that brings you to faith. Barna actually did a survey and six out of 10 people, out Christians in the world, say that they came to faith because of someone in their family, because of the faith of someone in their family. But what's interesting out of that 6 out of 10, 68% said it was because of their mom. It was because of their mom's faith, their mom's loyalty, the way their mother lived their life on why they came to faith. Now, see, I know I came to my faith because of my mom. I mean, my mom drugged me to church. I always said I had a drug problem as a kid because I got drugged to church anytime the doors were open, you know. I mean, if them doors were open, mom was making me get there. And believe it or not, you know, I actually used to, growing up as a kid, I wore a suit to church. You want to know why I don't wear a suit now? Because my mom made me wear a suit then. <laughs> so it's, mom's it's mom's fault. I'm blaming mom. But the understanding that it's not only, yes, 68% of people were because of their mother's faith. But that still means the other half came because of someone else's faith. So, so even for, you don't necessarily have to be a mom. I know there's people in this room, it was their grandmother. There's people in this room, it was their father, or it maybe have been their aunt or their uncle. And in some cases, it's the next door neighbor. Because all of us know kids in our neighborhood. All of us see kids grow up and we're there and we're still able to have an influence on their life. After coaching football for 13 years, and then you get these kids to come up to you, and they're, hey, coach, how you doing? And, and you're looking at them, and they're taller than you, and you're like, who are you? And then they remind you, oh, you know, you coached me when I was 11 years old, you know? And you're like, yeah, you were 11 years old, 100 pounds, you know? Now you're like 18, 19, going off to play college ball, and you're 6'4", you know, 260, I was an offensive line coach. So I coached the big kids. And you're looking at them going, oh my God. 
But then they tell you about the life lessons they learned and about things that even now that they apply into their life because they learned it from you. I wasn't their dad. I definitely wasn't their mom. I wasn't their aunt or their uncle. I was an influence in their life because I was doing what God called me to do. And each one of us have that ability. Each one of us in this life, we're, uh, we're all called by God to teach and model the gospel to children and guide them in the ways of the Lord. That's what we're all called to do. Guess what? It don't have to be your kid. It's great if it's your own child, because there's one thing about, you know, as I look back at my own kids, knowing that they're walking with the Lord, it's, it's a good feeling. But then there's also people in this room who you've been coming to church all this time and your kids aren't walking with the Lord. And you start questioning, what did I do wrong? Well, this is what we're all called to do. We're called to teach it, and we're told to model the gospel to all, all children of the world. And like I said, don't matter if you're mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandparent, whatever it is, that's what we're called to do. Each one of us, as a Christ follower, are called to teach and model the gospel. Now, when you really think about that, we're called to teach and model the gospel. That puts a lot of pressure on us. Because that means we've got to be like Jesus, not only when we're in church. We've got to do it outside of church also. And, you know, I think one of the things that we need to do is, as Christ followers, realize that, hey, you know what, if we're going to be obedient to what the Lord calls us to do, we need to be willing to say that we will be present. And we won't only talk about the gospel, but we'll model it for all children. Now, think about that. Not only speak it, but model it. That requires a change in us. It requires us to actually do what God's word says. It requires us to pick up this Bible. It requires us to read it. It requires us to understand it and then be able to live it out in life. Not just while we're here. Not just while we're in a Bible study. Not just while we wake up in the morning and maybe open it up and read a little bit of scripture. Model it in everything that we do. That's what we're all called to do. So we're going to look at what God's Word says about doing this this morning. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 78. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew, but as always, it will be on the screen, or you can break out the phone app, you know, go ahead and break out your version or any other Bible app you have. But with that being said, let's go ahead and dig in. Psalms 78, verses 1 through 8. My people... Hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but we will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and his wondrous works as uh, he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that the future generation, children yet to be born, might know they were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's work, but keep his commands. Then... 
They would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. You don't have to go farther than the end of that scripture to see what's happening in today's world. You, you look at today's society, it's a rebellious nation, it's going against what God's word says, and you know who's to blame for that? Us. You know why? Because we didn't do exactly what this scripture tells us to do. To tell the generation about God. Tell about his goodness. Tell about his everything he's done. So through generations, we're actually seeing history repeat itself. Because you've got a generation now that wants nothing to do. They're rebellious against God, just like the Israelites back in the day. And they're being told to rise and tell. Tell the next generation. Tell them what's going on. Remind them who God is. If there's anything in this world today, people need to know who God is. People need to know who he is, what he does, and what he's capable of. But the problem is, are we actually modeling and teaching the gospel? Or are we just tickling people's ears with what they want to hear? And see, as you look at this psalm here, and, and you look at the, the principles that they're giving us, the psalmist is basically screaming out, the very beginning, my people, hear my instruction, listen to the words of my mouth. Don't touch the dial. Don't change that channel. This is the shout that we're hearing from the psalmist. Listen to what I'm saying. I know anytime I, I read something like that in the Bible, it really perks me up to, to really dig into what it says because it must mean something big and it must mean something that I can apply into my own life because if they really want me to listen to it, it must be something good. And it's probably something that I'm failing to do and I guarantee if I'm failing to do it, I'm not alone because I know it's part of that human nature that we all go through. The psalmist uses some historical truths inside here, and he describes God's praiseworthy deeds. Every one of us knows something that God has done in our lives. And in here, the psalmist is actually telling us different things that we as Christ followers should do as we live our life. You know, he, he talks about it's our responsibility to teach our children, teach our grandchildren. And in some cases, all of us have spiritual children that God has us teaching. And in Psalm 145 verses 3 and 4, it actually says this, the Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. So we've got to teach the world about God's greatness. Teach the world the great things that God has done in your life. And no matter where you're currently at, you know, some of you may be inside that valley right now. Some of you may be halfway up to the mountain. Some of you may be having mountaintop experiences. You know how easy it is to talk about the greatness of God when you're up here? 
because you're on the top of the world. You know, hey, God did this. Look at all these great things he's doing in my life. But what about when he's, you're in that valley? The realization when we've got that time in that valley, life's just going against us. Nothing seems to be happening right. We, we seem to forget about the greatness of God. We forget about the things that he's done in our life. But the reminder is he's walking through that valley with us. He's walking there. He's guarding us. He's taking every step by our side. He's being a companion, and he's being showing his greatness through his love for each one of us each and every day. Even when we mess up, even when we don't do what's right, he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to be by your side. And we need to remember to pass that on to our children. Pass it on to those we come in contact with. And remember who God is. Remember the miracles he's done in your life. And every one of us at some point has seen a miracle from God. And a lot of times it's in our own life. Things that have happened that, that should have never happened. Are you kidding me? I'm still alive today because of miracles of God. We've seen people healed from cancer. We've seen people just God show up financially. So many different things in, in people's lives. And even going back, looking in my own life, I have seen the goodness. I have seen the greatness of God. And one thing I make sure is I'm not afraid to tell somebody about it. It's part of what I'm told to do. The other thing we see that we're supposed to teach children God's word. Now, I want you to understand, teaching children God's words isn't just the Sunday school teacher's job. It isn't just FBC kids' job. Guess whose job it is? Everyone in this room. It's our job. It's like your kid going to school, taking algebra, not understanding it. You may never make them do homework. You never do nothing. They act a fool at home. And then when they go to school, all of a sudden they fail algebra and it's the teacher's fault. And then they, you think about how your kids act at home. How do you think they're going to act at school? Worse. Worse. I know. I was there. I, I did that. I, I acted a totally different way in school than I did at home. Of course, back in my day, you could still get paddled. Yep. And the principal would unload on you with that paddle. Still didn't help any, but that's okay. <laughs> but we need to take that time to spend not only ourselves in God's word, but to teaching our kids. If you, if you ever really look at it, a lot of times the teacher learns more than the student. And as you're taking that time to, to teach the next generation God's word, you know, it's not always about little kids. That next generation could be another adult. But as you're taking that time to dig into God's word and you're teaching it to someone else, guess what? You're going to learn that much more. You're going to get more into God's word because, hey, if I'm going to teach it to someone, I got to know what it says. If I'm going to teach it to someone, I need to totally understand it because the last thing I want to do is twist what the scripture says. I want to be able to teach them truly what God's word says. So even as the teacher, a lot of times you're going to learn more than the student learns. But, but here's the whole thing. How are you going to teach the word of God if you never open up your Bible? 
if you don't take your own time, if you don't take morning devotion time to open up God's word and read it, if you don't get involved in a Bible study, if you don't get involved in a life group, you're not doing anything to learn the word of God yourself. How are you going to teach it to somebody else? Because trust me, it takes more than an hour on Sunday morning to learn about God's word. This morning, you're going to learn about what's in Psalm 78. Are you going to teach that all week long? Probably not. You got to take that time, dig deeper into what God's word says so that you can then pass it on to other people. Verses six through seven said that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God's commandments. They're talking about four generations here. Most of us don't even know two generations deep in our family. But that's how it continues to move down. When you take that time and you teach someone God's word, and they in turn take that time to teach someone else God's word, and it continue to filter down and continue to move, you're talking four generations or more. You can actually affect four generations in the future by what you do today. If you take the time and teach what God's word says and teach what, who God is and take that spiritual assignment serious. Be serious about what God calls you to do. And guess what? You might mess up. You might not understand something. You may get in a question asked like, uh, hey, pastor, where are the dinosaurs in the Bible? Trust me, that question gets asked. <laughs> you will get asked some questions that you're going to be like, oh, uh, Siri, where is this in the Bible? Guess what? That's okay. It's okay to have to Google an answer. Because guess what? The younger generation and the next generation, they already Googled it anyways. And here's the problem. When they Googled it, they started seeing some answers that aren't really biblical. They started being steered in a direction that's not what God's word says. And with the advancement of AI nowadays, you can go to AI and ask it two identical questions and just change religion, race, color, or anything like that, and it'll give you two totally different answers. What should basically give you the same answer will give you two different answers because it still goes with whoever the programmer was to put the methodology inside of it. So what methodology do you want put inside the next generation? Do you want what the world's calling right, or do you want what God's word is calling right? The only way to do what God's word is calling right is to know what God's word is and then to teach it to the next generation. It talks about teach children to trust God. How many people in here trust God? All right, that's good, right? Have you ever taught anyone how to trust God? Have you ever passed that on to somebody else? Because here's the realization. The next generation needs to understand that they can trust God. And guess what? Some of the next generation don't even trust you. They don't even trust you. As their parent, as a grandparent, aunt, uncle, as a teacher, as anything at all, the last thing they do is trust you. I can tell you as a chaplain with the sheriff's department, get out there and start to talk to someone. As soon as I walk up in uniform, the trust is immediately gone. 
Now think about generations in the past. If I walked up in uniform, in, in, in a full police uniform, there was trust there, right? There was trust, there was respect, everything. Nowadays, total opposite. You want to know why? Because of what the kids are being taught, what the next generation has been taught, and unfortunately, because of some bad apples. There's bad apples in the church, there's bad apples outside the church. So there are people within the church that have taught God's word wrong, there are people that have taught the future generations wrong, and there are people who said they were Christians who weren't really Christians who have led people astray. Which is unfortunate. That's why we, as Christ followers, need to actually do what, is, what God's Word called it and understand that if we truly trust God, people should see our trust. You know, like all of a sudden it's like, man, I ain't got enough to pay my light bill. I'm going to trust God is going to supply are you really trusting God? Do the people around you see you trusting God or do they see you freaking out and getting anxious? Are you really trusting him or are you just saying, I know God will provide and then you're not showing your trust in him? I think about the Israelites. You think about, you know, as you read the Old Testament, God parted the Red Sea. God provided manna from heaven. Even provided them with enough quail that they got tired of eating quail. God's like, you want it? Here it is. Here's an abundance. Okay, God, we're done with it. He provided their way through the desert. He provided so much for them, but yet they forgot him. And guess what? We're no different. We know everything God has done for us, but how many times do we forget? As soon as times get rough, something's not going right. We, we forget what's going on. And I, I think a lot of times we forget because we don't do like Joshua did. When, when, when Joshua got to the Jordan River and the Israelites were going to cross the Jordan and it was at flood stage, God parted the Jordan River. He stopped the flow so the Israelites could cross on dry ground into the promised land. And Joshua took stones and built a memorial. He built a place so that the future generations would remember what God did. And in, in Joshua 4, 20 through 24, it says this, Then Joshua set up in Galgal the 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. What are you doing in your life to commemorate what God has done? What, are you, what stones are you placing for the future generations to see what God did for you? And if you're not doing anything, start thinking about what's the legacy that I'm going to leave? What will my grandchildren or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren know about me? 
What legacy am I leaving? What am I leaving for them to know about the Lord and to know how much I trusted in him? What are you doing to commemorate what the Lord did in your life? Next thing it says, teach your children to obey God. Well, that's a big one. Teach your children to obey God. How many people in here have ever had the phone ring and you tell them, you know, either you're not answering it or, hey, tell them I'm not home. Yeah. Oh, I'm in the shower. Oh, I'm cooking. I'm outside. You know, they come up, hey, dad, so-and-so's on the phone. Oh, I, I, I can't get it right now. I'm doing something. You know you're teaching your kid to lie, right? Oh, but it's just a little white lie. They, they, no, you're teaching your kids to lie. You're teaching your kids to, to, to not tell the truth, that they can give any reason they want for not wanting to do something. But don't we do the same thing with God? God says, I want you to, oh, no, not me, God. And, and you feel the Spirit start putting something on you, and, and you come up with all these excuses and reasons why you can't do it. And, and then you're telling your, your kids that you need to obey God's Word. You need to do what God's Word calls you to do. But you live a totally different life. You bring them into church. You drag them here. All right, you listen to what the pastor says. You listen to what Miss Patty tells you in FBC Kids. You make sure you do this and you do that. And, and then you leave here and you go buy a fifth of Jack. Or, or you go get your fix of whatever your, your drug of the day is. Or you go home living with someone you're not married to. Or you're living in a lifestyle that you shouldn't be living but yet you're going to tell your kids, hey, you need to obey God. You need to obey what it says here. You need to obey it. This is, this is what you got to live by. And you're not living by it. Do you actually think the next generation or the kids behind you are going to listen to it? No. They're not going to do it. They're not going to pay attention to it. They're not really not going to care what's inside this Bible because if you claim to be a Christian and you're not living by God's word, do you really think they want to be a Christian like you? No. You know how many kids will leave Christianity because their parents just drugged them to church but didn't live the lifestyle? It's a reality. It's a reality of today's world. And ultimately, if we don't obey God... How can we expect our kids to obey God? It's never going to happen. When our children leave home, we can't help them make decisions. They're going to make decisions on their own. Everyone in this room, many people in this room, I guarantee you, man, I can't wait to be 18. As soon as I'm 18, I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm living my own life. And then about 23, 24 hits. Mom, dad, <laughs> start realizing life is hard. Start realizing you're making some choices you shouldn't be making. Been there, done that. 17 years old, I said, I'm out. I left. I was headed to the Marine Corps. I'm, done. I'm not coming back home. Well, I'm still in Florida, so I came back home. <laughs> 
We need to be obedient. And if we can't be obedient and we don't teach our kids when they're young and they don't see our obedience in the Lord, we can't expect them to also be obedient. Well, we can expect it, but don't, be, don't plan on it actually happen. Don't plan on them doing what God's word calls. Don't be surprised if they walk away. Even Joseph said this in Genesis 39. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The problem was is Joseph was being tempted at the time. And the only thing that kept him from doing that sin was his obedience to God. Because he was being obedient to what God called him to do, he was not tempted by the sin. Many people today are tempted by the sin and it's, oh, sorry, God, I was weak. You were weak an hour ago. And an hour ago, you told me you repented. And now you're doing the same thing all over again. We need to be obedient. And trust me, obedience is not easy. Obedience is hard work. It's doing what God calls us to do when we're called to do it. And see, that's the problem. It's when we're called to do it. Because unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, other things in our life are more important. And we all know what that is. There's times when, oh, I'd love to do this, but, and we let our butt get in the way. We, we let it get in the way because we want to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. And, okay, well, God, I know you want me to do that, but, you know, I got this party I got to go to. Lord, I know you want to do this, but I got a video game to play. Lord, I know you want me to do this, but don't you know NHL playoffs is on, God? I ain't got time to go do this. I, I need to see who's going to win the, the game tonight. And we will make so many different excuses for not obeying God and doing what God calls us to do. And then we wonder why the next generation and the next generation and the next generation has gotten to where we are today. And the only other way that we're going to change it for the future generations is start doing what God's Word calls us to do. Start being the person God called us to do. Susanna Wesley was born January 20th, 1669. And most of you are probably like, okay, who, who's that, Pastor? Well, I want to let you know she never ever preached a sermon. She never wrote a book. She never uh, planted a church or founded a church or anything like that. But Susanna Wesley is known as the mother of Methodism. And she's known as the mother of Methodism because of her strength, because of her belief in God, belief in God's word, and the fact that she passed it on to the next generation. She was a strong woman who stood her ground. She wasn't docile. She wasn't weak. And if it wasn't for her belief in who God is and the power of God and everything about God, we would never know who John or Charles Wesley is. We would have never heard their name. They would have never actually started the Methodist church and never have been the evangelisms or the hymn writers that they were. And we know a lot of them by either their quotes or the hymns that they've written throughout their years and their strength and their belief in God that all came from who? Their mother.
It was set in place by their mom. And understand, I do want to let you know it's not a mom's job. So it's not just about the moms. Dads are responsible. Grandparents are responsible. See, for some of us as grandparents, we may be the only gospel that our grandkids ever hear. They may never hear about church because, unfortunately, we failed with our own kids. Or our kids went in a different direction. Or maybe as an aunt or an uncle, you may be the only one who's able to speak truth into your nieces and nephews' lives. Maybe just as a spiritual mom or dad. And in some cases, a lot of us are. We're just spiritual parents to other people. Where you got a younger generation that just, hey, that's my spiritual dad right there. You don't have to biologically be the person's mom. You don't have to be their dad. But be the human that God called you to be. Be the person that God called you to be into it. And understand the influence that we have on others. And I read a poem this week that I thought was actually cute. It's called I Quit. It's by Diana Allen. And she really sums up, I think, what many mothers go through at this time. And she went through this poem and she's explaining basic parenthood. And she says this. There will be days when I'm still hunting through the yellow pages for the number of the mother's resignation hotline. Or my heart will feel as though it has been shattered into a thousand pieces. One thing is sure, however, I have to hang on to stand firm to fight the good fight. The souls of my children and the quality of the lives that they live here on earth is at stake. And so is their eternity. My children are too precious for me to do anything but persevere. That's something that all of us can take. I do like the part about the mother's resignation hotline. Sometimes I wonder if there's a father's resignation hotline. But the reality is each one of us are called to teach the next generation. We're called to take that time. We're called to to do what God called us to do. And, And as we look back at this, you know, are we teaching the next generation God's greatness? Are we telling them about the greatness of God? Are we teaching his word? Are we teaching them how we trust in him? And more importantly, how we obey him? So I'd ask you to take a spiritual inventory. How are you currently doing at all that? And if you're not doing good, don't worry, you're not alone. But it just means you kind of got an area of this is what I got to work on. This is areas that I got to change. And, and then the question is, do your kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews see the same person outside of church that they see in church? And I think a lot of times that's the bigger question because they see one person inside here. They see one person on Sunday, at least Sunday morning inside the church. But do they see that same person Monday through Saturday or do they see someone totally different? I can tell you by seeing, just being on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, I see people one way on Sunday and a totally different way the rest of the week. 
I see them a totally different way. And I want to let you know, I'm never going to judge anyone for it. Hey, it's your life. Because I know I'm still a sinner. I know I still fall short. But as we look at this on how do we teach God's greatness and how do we teach his word, get connected yourself. Get connected into his word. Take time to read his word, understand his word. And ultimately, if you've got a child, grandchild, niece, nephew, whatever it is, take time to open up your Bible with them. Open it up. Take that time. Take that time to read some scripture. Explain it. Teach them how to pray and pray with them so they can understand and see that goodness of God. They can understand the word of God. Show them how you truly trust God in everything that you do. Not just in some of it, but how you truly trust God throughout your day. And really... Let them see how you're being obedient to what God calls you to do. By living your life the way God wants you to live it. Not the way you want to live it, but the way God wants you to live your life. We all need to understand we're all called to teach and model the gospel to children and guide them in their ways. That's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter if you're mom, dad, uncle, grandparent, or anything else. But, but here's the reality. We're all called to do it, and we can make that promise that, yes, Lord, we will be present. Yes, Lord, we won't just talk about the gospel. We'll model the gospel in our life. We'll do everything you call us to do, and it's just words. Oh, I'll do it, Pastor. Okay. Guess what? That's between you and God. It's not something you say to me. Because guess what? I I can't hold you accountable. Man, God can hold you accountable. Because guess what? He sees you 24-7. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going through in your life. He, He knows if you're playing Christian or if you're really doing what he calls you to do. And, of course, if you're here today and, and maybe you're saying, hey, that's all good, but, you know, Pastor, I, I, I don't even know this God. I, I'm just learning about who this Jesus is. And I'm really not sure on, on how to obey him. I'm not sure on how to study his word. And, and I know he's done some great things in my life, but I really don't understand it. And... And pastor, you just don't understand. I'm I'm a messed up person. Anyone here feeling that way today? Anyone in here messed up? Don't be shy. Anyone in here sometimes feeling like, man, I just, I can't be obedient to God? I know his word tells me to do this, but I get stuck doing this. You know, I... Pastor, I try and repent from this sin and I try and do what's right and, and I just keep falling into it. I have a hard time being obedient because I got this habit. I got this hurt. I got this hang up and I just can't beat him. Besides, you're lucky I even came into church, Pastor, because I thought the church would catch on fire. 
I can't come into church at a catch on fire. I'm waiting for it. I haven't seen it yet. And you think your life is so messed up and so beyond God ever repairing it? You're not alone. I was having a conversation with someone this week and I even said, imagine if you took whatever it is you're going through in your life, whatever that hurt is, whatever that hang up is, whatever that habit is, whatever problem you have in your life. And I said, write on a post-it note and bring it up here and put it at the altar. Man, you'd be ready to do it, right? Man, that's it. Pastor, I'm bringing it to the altar. I'm giving it to you. It's all yours. But when you bring yours up here, I want you to take someone else's. You're like, man, pastor, I'm taking my own. I don't want someone else's problems. At least I know how to deal with mine. I know how to do different things with it. I'm not going to take someone else's problem. Well, understand, God's going to take your problem. He's going to walk with you through it. Whatever you're going through, and it's not about about being perfect. It's not about being right. And, and I've got to be right to be in this relationship with a holy God. No, you don't. God's word says, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. So guess what? The person sitting next to you is a sinner. The person sitting next to you falls short of the glory of God. So guess what? You're in good company because they're a sinner just like you. And guess what? I'm a sinner just like you. My sin may be different. Your sin may be different, but sin is sin in the eyes of God. But man, my God is good. My God is good. I will talk about his greatness. I will talk about the things he's done in my life. I will talk about how he's changed me. I will talk about it and I will teach people his word so that they know where to go, what to do, and how to understand it. And my whole thing is I want you to not only hear it, I want you to apply it in your life. I want you to be able to leave here every single Sunday and know that you can change. You can take what was taught. You can take what is in God's word and you can apply it in your life to make a change because it starts with each one of us. We make a change in our own lives. We then make the change in someone else's life and then we can affect the next generation. And from the, where we start, where we start that legacy, that next generation is then going to tell that next generation about us and what we did and how God used us. And it's going to continue to go to generation after generation after generation. Each one of us can probably remember something that we were told by someone who is no longer on this earth that still impacts our lives today. Impacts someone's life. If you've never accepted Christ, hey, today's your day. God's word says today is the day of salvation. You can say, man, I'm messed up, I'm jacked up. Well, let me tell you, you are loved. God showed his love for you that yet while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He sent Christ to die on a cross for your sins. The sins you've already done and the sins you're still going to do. Because we're all still going to sin until the day we meet him face to face. But God's word says, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. Then you start to learn and see his goodness and his greatness. You start to dig more into his word to see what it says. 
you start to see his works inside your life. You start to teach it to others and then you start to tell others about what he's doing in your life and it continues to grow and as he changes you from the inside out and you become a new person, you affect anyone you come in contact with. You have the ability to change not only you, but your entire environment, whether it's your house, your family, your workplace, your school. Each one of us has an ability to affect change. Be a hope dealer. This week, deal hope. Deal hope to everyone you come in contact with. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us here today at FBC Lantana for Church Online. And, and, and if, if you enjoyed what you saw today, I'd just like to ask you to go ahead, go to our website and, and help support this ministry as we try and outreach and reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And you can just go to our website, fbclantana.com slash give, um, and you can make an online donation right there. Again, I encourage you to get connected to a local church, and especially if during this message you felt compelled to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, definitely go tell somebody. Let someone know because that is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And, and from there, get connected to a local church. Hey, we would love to provide you with some resources with that. You can go to our website, fbclantana.com, and on the very front page, you say, give my life to Jesus. Click on there, and at the bottom of there, there's some links and some good information for you. And just wanted to say, welcome to the family.